listening to the Mr. Cemetery Show, the podcast that's dedicated to the dark corners of the world. From weird news to historical oddities and the unexplained mysteries, here's your host, Mr. Cemetery. Hello and welcome back to the show, you sick, twisted freaks. This is the Mr. Cemetery Show, the podcast that's dedicated to all the things that are weird, strange, haunted, and creepy. But it's mixed with enough wackiness that you won't have to sleep with your nightlight on. I'm your host, Mr. Cemetery. And I'm Krista. Now we've all grown up listening to nursery rhymes, fairy tales, and fables. Some of them we can recite word for word or even sing along to. They help us shape into who we are today without even realizing it. Cinderella, Ring Around Rosie, Hansel and Gretel, the list goes on. But did you know that most of these stories stemmed from real-life events? On today's episode, we find out the truth behind one of those stories. Weird News brings us a story out of England about a zoo with a connection to the wizarding world. And we tell you about the history of one of the most famous occult objects in the world, how did this strange board become so popular, and why are so many people afraid of it? So let's get on with the show and find out about these stories and more. This is episode 29, He Took to Kids. Alright, let's get to it. But first, I'm going to the cooler for a drink because I don't know about you, but I need a drink desperately. Excuse me. While we are here, let's check out what's happening this week in history and other useless facts. February 27th, 1981, Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder record the single Ebony and Ivory. February 28th, 1983, final TV episode of MASH a two-hour special directed by series star Alan Alda titled Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen airs on CBS with a record of 125 million watching in the U.S. I like that show. Yeah. And March 1st, 1984, American actor Jackie Coogan, who played Uncle Fester in the hit television show, died at 69 from a heart attack. March 2nd, 1882, Queen Victoria narrowly escapes assassination when Roderick McLean shoots at her while boarding a train in Windsor. March 3rd, 1911, American actress and 1936 goddess Jean Harlow was born in Kansas City, Missouri. March 4th, 1861, Abraham Lincoln is inaugurated as the 16th U.S. President. Before we get on with it, don't forget that tomorrow is National Cheese Doodle Day, National Absinthe Day, and real film day, so you can enjoy your day drinking absinthe, eating cheese doodles, and watching real films. Do cheese doodles go well with absinthe? I'm not sure. Maybe you'll get lucky and find yourself a Loch Ness doodle. <laughs> <laughs> it's still going. Yeah. Still going. <laughs> Good one. Do you have a personal, hottest, spooky, or just plain weird story you would like to share with us? We'd love to hear all about it. Email us your story at Show at gmail.com. There's a link in the show notes of this episode to send us your stories. And maybe we'll share it on the next episode, like today's story that comes from listener Kelly. Her story goes a little something like this. When I was 12, my oldest brother committed suicide. I never got to tell him goodbye. About two months after it happened, I was babysitting my nephew in his house. My nephew wanted to come upstairs to his room and play. When I called his name to come down for lunch, I heard him laughing and talking to someone. So I went upstairs to see what he was doing. He wasn't in his room. He was in my brother's. I never went into the room after his suicide, but I opened the door and saw my nephew in the closet. I walked over to pick my nephew up, and I felt a sensation on the back of my neck. I looked up and saw a figure of my brother standing in front of me. He said, I love you very much, and goodbye. And from that day on, I started believing in ghosts. What do you think? It's kind of creepy. Creepy. Yeah. 
Yeah. Seem weird. I think I'd shit myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Something touches me. I'm, I'm screaming like a five-year-old little girl and I'm running. I always said I didn't mind ghosts as long as they didn't basically touch me or throw stuff at me. No touchy-touchy. You kind of draw a line there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not a fan of that. It's time to turn it over some weird news. The news that's full of fun and goofy stories that you won't find on CNN or Fox. Like this story. British Zoo's first baby aardvark named for a Harry Potter creature. The British Zoo announced the facility's first ever aardvark birth and unveiled the hairless newborn. The Chester Zoo in England said the staff won't know for a few weeks whether the calf's a male or a female, but it was tentatively named Dobby, due to its resemblance of the hairless long-nosed house elf from Harry Potter. This is the very first aardvark to be born in the zoo, and it's a momentous landmark for us and a real cause for celebration. We're overjoyed, the Chester Zoo team manager Dave White said. Aardvark parents are notorious for being a little clumsy around their newborns, he said. With a baby being so tiny and fragile, we're therefore protecting it from any accidental knocks and bumps and helping the mom out with supplementing feeding sessions throughout the night, just until the calf is a little stronger. Oh. Yeah. It's freaking Dobby. Yeah, I like Dobby. Yeah. Who doesn't like no Dobby, right? Mm-hmm. Want to see a photo? Yeah. It's so ugly, it's cute. Right? <laughs> just like Dobby. I just want to lick his face. <laughs> I like. The Mr. Cemetery Show will return after these messages. You know, now's a perfect time to subscribe to the podcast. And we're sitting here listening to these commercials. You're not doing anything else. Just go on and subscribe to the show. You know you love us. So what are you waiting for? Are you in the spine-tingling crime stories? The Krista McKibben's Hatchet Man book is for you. It's a chilling tale set in the 1800s about one of America's earliest serial killers, whose disturbing crimes occurred in both Ohio and Maryland. The book also includes a full trial and confession as told by the Baltimore Sun. Hatchet Man by Krista McKibben is available on paperback and Kindle, only at Amazon.com. We here at the Mr. Cemetery Show would like to invite you to become a Patreon member. There are so many reasons to become a Patreon. Not only are you helping out the Mr. Cemetery Show cover its own costs, but you get exclusive behind-the-scenes content, bloopers and bonus content, dead of the day that we do not post over our Instagram feed, signed photos, discount merch, and so much more cool rewards. Head over to the show notes of this episode and click the link and sign up today. Now, back to the Mr. Cemetery Show. And we're back. What story do you have for us today? Well, many of you probably know the age-old tale of the Pied Piper of Hamlin, made popular by the famous Brothers Grimm. But just in case you don't, here's a quick rundown of the fabled tale. Um, it was made famous by Silly Symphony, Mickey Mouse. I'm just saying. Yeah, well, probably actually made famous, (laughs) I suppose. (laughs) Many people know it because of the Brothers Grimm. Okay, I'll give you that. (laughs) <laughs> I remember the Silly Symphonies. Yeah, it was a pretty good one. Yeah. In the year of 1284, the village of Hamlin, Lower Saxony, Germany, had been facing a major rat infestation. One day, a piper dressed in bright colored clothes showed up and promised to rid the villagers of the rats for a fee, to which the desperate villagers agreed. The piper began playing music that caused all the rats to follow him, and he led them out of the village. When the piper returned to receive his payment, The mayor refused to pay him the full amount agreed upon. 
This, of course, made the Piper furious, and he vowed revenge. Yeah, big pissed. Yeah, right? Sometime later, the Piper returned, and just as he did with the rats, he began playing music. Only this time, all the children in the village began to follow him, and he led them away, and the Piper nor the children were ever seen again. What you may not know about this story is there's some truth to the tale, and the proof is etched all over Hamlin. And for future reference, if you don't already know, the word pied means many colors. Uh, no, pie means apple, blueberry, <laughs> peach, and a crusty little flake. Mmm, like yeah, no. pie. <laughs> the earliest known record is depicted in a stained glass window created for the Church of Hamlin, which dates to around 1300 AD, although it was destroyed in 1660. Several written accounts have survived. The oldest comes from the Lewenberg Manuscript, which stated, In the year of 1284, on the day of Saints John and Paul, on June 26, by a piper clothed in many kinds of colors, 130 children born in Hamlin were seduced and lost at the place of execution near the Coppin. A 1384 entry in Hamlin's town records also grimly states, It is a hundred years since our children left. An inscribed plaque on the building that is known as the Pied Piper House reads, A.D. 1284, on the 26th of June, the day of St. John and St. Paul, 130 children born in Hamlin were led out of the town by a piper wearing multicolored clothes. After passing the Calvary near the Coppenberg, they disappeared forever. So what really happened to the children? To begin with, the rat plague seems to be absent from early accounts and wasn't a part of the story until around the middle of the 16th century. Some historians thought the children died of the plague and the Pied Piper was a reference to death. Problem was, the dates didn't add up, and there were no adult deaths of the plague at that time either. Another suggests that the Piper was a pedophile who murdered them, but that was ruled out too. No bodies were found, and how would one man subdue 130 children at the same time? Put them in pies. Put put them in pies. There's a lot of that in the Grimm's Mm -hmm. Tales. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Turns out, June 26 wasn't just the day the children disappeared, it was also the day of a pagan midsummer celebration. A piper would show up and merrily lead the people into the hills for a midsummer firelighting ceremony. Zach David Zipes, a fairy tale scholar, and who knew that was a thing? I'll just add that to the list of great jobs my public school counselors never told me about. Right? I know. I'm upset about it myself. Right? Anywho... This guy found evidence that someone came to Hamlin that summer looking for people to colonize parts of Eastern Europe. Recruiting people to migrate was a common practice, especially in times of hardship. No different than the way people migrated to California, the land of opportunity during the Dirty Thirties and the Great Depression. In medieval Germany, recruiters wore colorful or pied clothing and played a flute, so people who wanted to migrate could hear them and follow along in the merry procession. Entire families who were struggling would join into the festive parade and dance away into the hills, never to be seen again. A German linguist wondered if the children of Hamlin had followed a flutist not to a midsummer firelighting ceremony, but as part of a migration. It is theorized that instead of following the piper to the fire ceremony, the children mistakenly followed the piper leading a migration. The recruiter would probably already had many children and adults following and most likely never thought anything of it. It's almost unimaginable to think about the parents just watching their children being led into the hills thinking that they were off to a local midsummer celebration when in fact they were on a migration. And yet, his hunch seems to check out. According to place name evidence, the most common surname in Hamlin at the time children disappeared appear with shocking frequency in the areas near Berlin. They were the destinations of the migration tour. And that's it. Wouldn't that be pretty?
pretty crazy to think you're watching your kids go off to a festival when, in fact, they're moving across Europe. Yeah, that would be, be interesting. First off, I'd be like, why the hell are they following this dude with the flute and his weird-ass clothes who don't have pie? <laughs> I guess that's what they Fuck did. It. Maybe they need to go. Fuck it. Yeah, I'm going to follow somebody like that. Well, I guess it's what they did for their festivals. It was just a normal thing. But then you got this other guy leading a migration, and they didn't know I don't know. That's the really difference. weird. Yeah. I never realized it was a real story. No, I didn't either. Not that one. Like, some of them, I knew there was something behind a lot. Of, yeah. You know. There's always little things behind a lot of stories. I, this story, I never knew anything about. But I guess all over the town of Hamlin, there's, like, engravings in the old churches and buildings. That's crazy. They got stuff actually engraved about losing these kids. Wow. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. I can imagine. Almost like Roanoke. <laughs> yeah. It really is. Yeah. Give me what I want and I'll go away. Right. <laughs> That's all I can think yeah. of. I want to watch that now. Yeah. Thanks. Something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really, really weird. Mm-hmm. Do you have any stories of playing with a Ouija board in your younger years or any creepy things that ever happened while playing with one? I've tried to play with them. Yeah. Not much really happened. I, I remember being a kid messing with it and then I'd get yelled at for playing by myself. Yeah, been there. We burnt one once. It had green smoke. Hmm, never burnt one. I used to have a, a few of them. Somebody stole them. That's all I'm going to say. They all pissed. Yeah. Yeah. I had like a really old one. Freaking awesome. They like the little dots and stuff on them and the design in the background. It literally had like a demon head and it. it was freaking awesome. That sounds cool. It was like old, probably, I want to say 60s. Yeah. I see, that'd be neat. Have her old one. Yeah. But it, it got stolen. The newer ones got stolen, and I never got any more. But I've always liked them. Yeah. You know, you have to be 21 to drink, but you're going to be eight years old to summon the devil. So you know. Gotta love it. Choices. Yeah. <laughs> the Ouija board is one of the most instantly recognizable cult symbols of the world. There's all kinds of stories about people who use them incurring the wrath of malevolent spirits or receiving a message from a dead loved one. Whether or not those stories are true, it's up for debate. How did the Ouija board come to be in the first place, and why are so many people convinced of its supernatural powers? Well, in the 19th century, the spiritualism movement had taken the U.S. by a storm. The idea that loved ones could be contacted after they die was attractive to many people in the time, when the average life expectancy was only 45 years old. The spiritualists believed that the souls of the deceased existed on a different plane, and that they were constantly evolving and becoming more enlightened. Thus, the spirits were seen as guides who offer advice about everything from relationships to financial matters, or really anything that they could think of. Spiritualists claim to be able to convey with these souls, and they've used all kinds of strange methods in order to accomplish this. One of the most popular methods was automatic writing, where a medium would use a pen to write down a message that was supposedly being channeled through them by a spirit. As the spiritualism movement evolved, so did the tools of the trade. Medium started using a heart-shaped wood tool known as a planchette, which had wheels and facilitated movement and the hole would be used to hold a pen. The problem with these planchettes is that they were difficult to navigate as a result were often messy, so the spiritualists came up with all kinds of inventions to make it easier. Some of these inventions, like the spiritoscope, were ridiculously overdesigned and were probably even more ineffective as just a planchette. It wasn't until 1886 that the talking board hit the scene and revolutionized the way mediums made contact with so-called spirits. The object itself was simple, a wooden board with letters printed on it accompanied by a small table-shaped tool. The participants would place their hands on the tool and just ask a question. The small table was seamlessly moved by itself and the legs would point into different letters, eventually spelling out a message. 
On May 28, 1890, Elijah J. Bond and Charles Kenner and William Moffin filed a patent for the talking board, and it was granted on February 10, 1891. The name of the board allegedly came from the board itself during a session between his sister-in-law, Helen Peters. The board apparently spelled out the word Ouija and claimed it meant good luck. It is more likely that Peters got the name from the idea of a locket she was wearing it contained the portrait of a name of a civil rights activist, Ouija. The board was a huge success for Kennard Novelty Company, and then for the Fluid Company, it was sold to Parker Brothers in 1966. It even outsold Monopoly. A lot of people today think the public's perception of the game changed when it was in the horror classic The Exorcist, and it went from being a harmless toy to the tool of the devil. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah. I read a thing where people weren't really afraid, afraid of clowns until it came out. Yeah. Then that became like a mass hysteria kind of thing. Yeah, I can see it. And let me tell you what, clowns back in like the 20s and 30s? Spooky shit. They are scary. Spooky shit. They weren't afraid of them then. Yeah. Feared by religious people and denounced by the church. But this actually isn't true at all. In fact, the Ouija board has always been seen as a conductor of evil, and spiritualism itself is also hated by the church. Spectism about the Ouija board has always been around since the very beginning. In 1852, a scientist named William B. Carpenter hypothesized that the game's seamlessly supernatural powers weren't actually caused by something called the idiomotor effect. Basically, it's the idea that your actions can be influenced by suggestions and expectations without you constantly being aware of it. In 2012, a study by University of British Columbia scientists found that blindfolded subjects who used the Ouija board to answer yes or no questions that they didn't know the answers to were 15% more likely to answer correctly than those who just answered verbally. This is interesting because it indicates that the Ouija boards may actually help harness some subconscious part of the brain that has information stored away in it that we're not aware of. The idea that you can summon demons and poltergeists using an object you can buy at Toys R Us seems ridiculous to a lot of people, but there are still others who claim to have been haunted or even hurt by Ouija boards. What are your thoughts? I can see it being a, a subconscious kind of thing. Yeah. Um... Like I said, I've never had much of anything happen with the Ouija board, but same time, most people don't want to play the Ouija board when I bring it up, so... Yeah. Which is why I try it by myself and then get yelled at for it. But I was pretty little. They'd catch me. Yeah. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that by yourself. You know, but nobody wanted to touch it either, so... Yeah. I, 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 I think it's I've brain. never used it much. You know, it's, 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 it's what you put into it. I think so. I think, um, but I can see, you know, your subconscious does a lot of things... It's why it's your subconscious and you don't know yeah. consciously what's going on. But I'd like to be able to talk to something using a glow-in-the-dark board. That'd be awesome. That'd be cool. Yeah. One of them pink ones with the sparklies. That'd yeah. be sweet. I mean, you know, for that matter, if it was a ghost, why can't they just move it themselves without you touching it? Right. <laughs> why do you got to touch it? Right. I mean, they can throw stuff at you. Right. They can move it. Mm-hmm. But being lazy. Yeah, that's right. Lazy-ass ghost. Right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Mr. Cemetery Show. Thank you for joining us here today. Before we go, I'd like to remind everyone that Canada is the number one donut consumer in the world. Yes, with more than 30 million people in Canada, they eat 1 billion donuts annually. As they can thank Mr. Tim Horton for this title, as it's Canada's most popular coffee and donut chain. Do you know what strange donuts are made of? Strange donuts? Yeah. Uh, no. I don't. Weirdos. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. If you like what we do here, help spread the word of the podcast and give us a rate and review over on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to follow us over on Instagram at The Mr. Cemetery Show. Until next time, I'm Mr. Cemetery. And I'm Krista. And remember, kids, 
Stay creepy out there. See ya!